you're doing everything out of fear of being a failure to somebody but not yourself. You deserve happiness. You deserve to chase a dream. You deserve that. Failing. 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 I know. When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Well, this is a long-awaited episode because my guest and I have been trying to get this on the calendar for a couple weeks. And interestingly, she was recommended to me over a year and a half ago. We didn't meet that way. We met through another way, which we'll share in the episode. But I am thrilled to have on the show today Susie DeYoung. She is founder of La Soup. She is a chef. She's a wife a mother and an entrepreneur, and she's my friend now. So welcome, Susie. Thanks, Sarah. Happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here, too, because you are well, a busy woman. Every, we can blame everything on COVID. It took us a year and a half That's to right. get that excuse, and it yeah. doesn't go away. <laughs> gift it just keeps on giving. <laughs> I know, which is terrifying. Right? Actually, today, a friend was just telling me she got it. She had the vaccine, but that's another story for another day. Oh. I know, I know. Okay, Suze, let's uh, give some background on where you grew up, your family of origin, and of course, you have to talk about your mother and father. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Mount Lookout. Um, our first home actually was in Finneytown or Brentwood. I think it was considered Brentwood. And for listeners outside of Cincinnati, she grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mount Lookout is, is a little town on the east side. And I went to Cardinal Bocelli School. Thank you. And, I could sing the song, but I won't. Mm -hmm. Little uh, Thank parochial you for that. school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I didn't know you went to CPS. Yeah, I did. Okay. All right. I'm a graduate. And then I went to Ursuline Academy. And then I went to UC, University of Cincinnati. And um, how many siblings? I have two other sisters, Michelle and Nikki, and an older brother, Rick. Okay, and where are you in birth order? I'm the third. So it was Rick first, and then Michelle, and then me, and then younger sister Nikki. So I don't know this. Is your maiden name DeYoung, or is that your married name? Married name. My maiden name was Adrian. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, and talk a little bit about your dad, because he was... He was um, infamous yep. in his own right. Yeah. Yeah. He was the first... Um, First chef that brought five stars to Cincinnati at the Maisonette um, and unfortunately died when we were very young. I was 13. Um, and it's like a weird, it, it, it's also bizarre and it's really hard to even explain everything. But my father was brought to America by a French chef named Theo Kiefer. And Mr. Kiefer, we called him Papa. Mm -hmm. Papa Kiefer lived in New York, worked in New York, and was the chef at the Sherry Netherland. Okay. So after the war, he went to Alceste to look for um, other cooks. That's where he was from. Found my father, brought him back. Meanwhile, Theo's own son, Bob, mm -hmm. was married to my mother and 
ended up dying at, I don't even know, I want to say 23 of leukemia after my brother had been born. So my dad knew nobody um, except the keepers. That was it, his work life. And did he speak English? Not a word, not a word. And um, so we became kind of one big happy family with the Kiefer family mm-hmm. because of Papa Kiefer, because my brother, who is honestly, what what is that, a half-brother? Half-brother, yes. Yeah, he's actually a half-brother, but Dad adopted him, so he's always been an Adrian. And so it was just kind of weird, you know? Like, And I don't have any other was... American cousins. I don't have American family. It was Dad, oh. and his entire family is still in France. What about your mom? My mom, oddly enough, too. Her father also came from Alsace in France. He was French. He knew Theo. That's how the two of them met, the two chefs. Um, and um, she had a sister that never had children. So, um, so on your her parents... side, we had nothing. Okay, so you grow up. They're basic, They are immigrants. Right. It's post-World War II, so they were... Correct. They would be veterans today, right? Yep. If we look at yep. what what was what was similar to like a typical American family then, and what was dissimilar in your household? <laughs> I could expound on that for days. <laughs> like no other dad said, "We're going to have a buffet, Dad." <laughs> say buffet eat your vegetables i'll eat them when you can say it like like, yeah we grew up like friday catholic is you don't eat meat right 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 i would like cry if his car was in the driveway because then that meant he would be home for friday night dinner and if he was home it would mean we were going to eat something yucky like bouillabaisse. But if his car isn't in the driveway, we'll get the microwavable pizza like all my friends. And all it's all friends. I wanted. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. Um, and yeah, we, we <laughs> parish picnic. The priests always sat at our table. Why wouldn't they? He, he put a tablecloth down. He put China down. Everybody else is eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. He'd bring New York strips with maitre d'hotel butter. And I'd be like, can I go eat at the Hadley's? Can I eat the Hadley table? I don't want to eat this. So, yeah, there, there were some very distinct differences. Yeah. So I'm guessing because he was a chef who's pretty creative and artistic. Very. Your mom, what was she like? Um, she was, or is she like, is she still living? No, she passed away a couple of years ago. Okay. You know, as an adult, I look back and think, how did she survive that? She lost two husbands and raised four children before she was 45 years old. Like, after Dad died, she never went on another date. And I never would blame her. Like, I'm done with that. How did she live financially? That's a million-dollar question, Sarah, because we all... I think my father got some unbelievable advice um, about how to set up, set up a life insurance policy mm-hmm. and a trust, because believe it or not, we all were raised in a house, didn't want for food or clothing. She never worked. And like today, like I'd sit back and go, I still don't get it. 
and yeah. she still had money left when she died to give us to give to you yeah wow. after living in a nursing home for a number of years so yeah i have zero idea except we always joke and say that the kiefer family mm-hmm. uncle pierre kiefer her first husband's brother or brother pierre yes. kiefer was really good at stock markets and so i think he tipped off my mom or their my father i don't know but he was a genius at playing stocks but clearly your dad had something set up oh absolutely okay. and we sold our house um at the time we were <coughs> on the corner of kroger and stanley in cincinnati and we moved to a smaller home um in Hers- on Herschel Woods Lane, which is right by Old Park. Right. And right. at the time, also, my grandmother and grandfather, mom's mom and dad, had moved to Cincinnati from New York. He retired uh-huh. as a chef. He yes. moved to Cincinnati to help mom with us. And um, this little house that mom found looked very similar to the house we were in if you shrunk it. Like, so so did your grandparents help raise you all? Yeah. Yes. Mom, mom's parents moved here to help her with us. Yeah. And he was a chef as well. So it's like really in your blood. Weird. So did yeah. you always want to become a chef? No, no. I, did. I, I mean, I was a kid that didn't know what they were doing. So I thought you'd just get married. Like, I remember people talking about what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, I don't know. Have a, have kids or something? I mean, I did. I wasn't like real. Were you a Were you a happy? Um, in college, in college, in high school, I was a jock. Okay. So all I did is play volleyball and then play some more volleyball. We won state championship for the first. What year is this? Like seventy six. Okay. So it was the first year that there was state championships for women in high school. Yeah. So we were the first winners of a state competition in volleyball in Ohio at Ursuline. And all and you know back then I just wanted to keep if you win you get to play the next day. So yeah. that was my motivation. It wasn't like there's scouts, there's this, you could go to this college. I yeah, we just played to win cuz we had fun. We did you it. go did you play in college? No. No, I couldn't figure out how to party, how to join a <laughs> sorority how to move out of my mother's house and go to school at some point and play volleyball. Just, there was just too much. Okay, so do you graduate from college? Yes, I graduated um, in 82, I guess I graduated And, and then on what time. do you do? Um, I couldn't figure out, I know this sounds so weird because you're young, but I couldn't figure out how do you get- I love that you think that I'm young. You are, you're Thank much you. younger. So, um, but most people are these days. So, but what I thought was, how do you get a job if you have a job? Like, how do I apply to get a job? How do you find the time? There wasn't the internet. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So it was very Mm -hmm. confusing to me. Again, it's not like my mom didn't have a professional career. I didn't have some career mom or dad. Role model. Yeah. And, um, I had always worked, I started working at 14 at Lippert's Bakery. Okay. So, um, and I kept saying, I want to be a pastry chef. That's what I want to be. Went to Ursuline, um, and I'm laughing at this because I also listened to your podcast, 
with um, cooking with Caitlin. Caitlin. Yes. Yes. And she went to Ursuline. Yeah. I emailed her after I listened to that episode oh. because I said, oh, my God, they're still doing that shit. Like, I wanted to be a pastry chef and I was told no by the counselor, the guidance counselor, because you were at a college preparatory school. You do not go to a vocational school. Yeah. So that was 1976. I don't know. She's much younger than I am. And she got the same song and dance, which I mm -hmm. thought that's very interesting. And maybe they need to change their tune. Um, I would say uh, probably most schools need to change their tune. Yeah. I, I go to plumbing school is what I keep telling my boys. I know. Right? Anyway, <laughs> so... Okay, so um, uh, where so do you work? then I was working. I always had two jobs forever, yeah. and I Lippert, would yeah. yeah, and and then Hyde Park Snack Shack at this at the um, Hyde Park Country Club. Oh, I'm moving nice. on up, loving yeah, you that, are. hanging out with the caddies um, and the lifeguards, <laughs> you know, and the lifeguards. Yeah. Um, and then um, I started working in restaurants. So I would prep in the morning before school in the kitchen mm -hmm. and then go for the money at night and wait tables. So I worked all over. The, I mean, you name it, I worked there. A lot of those restaurants are now gone. Mecklenburg Gardens was like an eye-opening experience. Why? Well, it was a year of the cult, the years of the cult, you know, the so-called cult, the ashram that ran the, the restaurant. No, I have no idea what this okay, is. Okay, so it was crazy town. Um, there was a deprogrammer back in that part of my life. There was a deprogrammer whose name was Ted Patrick. And he was very well known for kidnapping kids that from the Moonies. If you, it, Reverend Sung Moon or something. I, you know, I'm, okay, I can't okay. remember all of that. But Dan was our chef. And he was kidnapped by his parents, by Ted Patrick, because their parents, who were Westsiders, believed that he was being programmed to work for free, live in this kind of cult-like world that they had a house across the street. Wait, 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 wait. The chef, say that one more okay. time. So the chef there, there was lots of people at Mecklenburg's who, okay. who were part of the ashram. Okay. They were not goofy weird. I I, I, I still don't even get it. It was kind of like a commune. It was a little bit of a commune. It was okay. a commune in the city. And it, so and so who kidnapped his him? parent the chef's parents had him came kidnapped. and kidnapped him. So Outside was he side of the restaurant. <gasps> Yeah. And brought him back over to the west side. No, no, no. They threw him in the trunk of the car in front of my eyes. And um, I think he ended up in Pennsylvania. Like, then they put you in a little room and tried to deprogram you. Um, yeah, it was crazy town. So, oh my God. Okay. So, so you're working at Mecklenburg. So, and, and I worked at night and day. And then um, you've always remember. worked a lot. Worked a lot. And then I went to the precinct oh. and made a boatload of money. Um, you couldn't, you just can't even believe how much money you could make back in those days. I don't know if things have changed, but yeah, it was a great job. Um, but I don't even know how it even started. It's so stupid. But my, my best friend still to this day, Sally Davis, hexed now, 
Yeah. Um, we went to college, you know, grade school, high school, college. And I don't know, at some point we were living with a guy um, in Clifton and it was a two, a two, two family, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We lived upstairs. He lived downstairs and we used to cook for him. So oh yeah, just for fun. Like, I don't know. So we called it SNS catering, Susie and Sal's catering. Cute. So our first gig was for Pat and Dr. Frank, Mr. and Mrs. Frank. And they had us at their home with all the movers and shakers of Mount Lookout and Hyde Park. I had no flipping idea what I was doing. I oh just God. made the dish that I had made for Jay, which was some kind of chicken something or other, because my nickname <laughs> from that point on was Chicken Sue. That was my name. <laughs> so I had somebody on the phone walking me through how to make hollandaise when Pat Frank said, oh my God. well, if you're serving asparagus, you're going to make hollandaise. And I'm like, oh, shit, I don't know how to make that. So I, had, I asked her if she had the joy of cooking. Distinctly remember that. No. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, do you have a blender? There's like all these different ways. And I called a guy named T.J. T. Davis, which was Sally's brother. And he walked me through how to make the hollandaise on the fly at the party. <laughs> okay, that's so insane. I know. So, so Susie, but no okay, fear. We, no fear. We're gonna we're gonna fast forward mm -hmm. a couple things because yeah. I want us to get into La Soup. Yeah. So you start a catering company. But when does Michelle, catering. your sister, come in? Yeah. So um, I went to France. Another crazy little life. So um, I was working at the Exemplar as their chef. God knows how. Um, and <laughs> I, I ended up leaving after four or five years. Yeah. And I took a job with a, a restaurant that never opened. So, I mean, like I thought I had a great gig, went to Europe um, as a, a stagiaire or an apprentice, worked there for a year um, and then came back. And when I came back, I'm like, I don't wanna work in a restaurant. Like I don't wanna work every night. I'm just gonna be a caterer. Okay. So that's how it happened. I remember sitting at Mount Lookout Swim Club I started doing it by calling all the people I had met at Hyde Park Country Club when I was in the snack shack. Oh my God. Friends of Pat Frank's, because in college we had cooked for her. Yeah. And um, I got a couple of gigs out of my apartment with Sally. So, so you and Sally started it. We started <laughs> it. She got real smart real fast and went to work uh, for Merrill Lynch at the time. Okay. And that's when I said, you know, I, I can at the exemplar was letting me use the kitchen for my outside catering. So I would have to work for him, but I had this other little side hustle going. And then Michelle and I opened, she was front end, I was back of the house, she was front of the house. Where Creations by Melody is in Madeira. Okay, we don't open. worry about locations because we've got so many people listening now that they probably won't even know where that okay. is. But it's okay. teeny, it had four or five tables. Got it. And quickly outgrew that, moved the building or got the building up the road and opened a full-scale restaurant and right. catering. Yeah. La Petite Pierre. La Petite Pierre. How yes. many years did you own that? 25. All right. So um, you okay. haven't shared with, we haven't talked about kind of what you wanted to share today is re with regards to a failure that was a huge learning for you. Um, so I don't, I don't know where you're going to go with this, 
But I all, I wondered because I know that it was hard when the you and Michelle. Yeah, split. that was probably yeah. the most difficult thing I've ever done. But you know, I'm tw it's 25 years into this. Mm -hmm. I have done it all, is what I would say. We cooked for presidents, sitting president, yes. acting president, senators, Congress. So we, if you hit the political spectrum, cooked for Springsteen, catered for Eric Clapton, had, you know, Julia Child, like you couldn't get, and then every huge family in Cincinnati. I mean, did the grand so opening do you, of the do you So you feel like you got, you checked all the, the boxes I off? And, and I just, I lost my passion. Yeah. Like I'm doing this every single day and I, I didn't want to be doing it. It was like, and, and you have to think too back, not just six years ago. I mean, it went much further back than that, but the foodie generation, the blogging, the not that we were getting bad reviews, not the case at all. I just mean the microscope of the people that were in your dining room now mm -hmm. grew exponentially. Mm -hmm. And I, it was just like, well, so-and-so's doing steak with blah, 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 blah. You need to, you need to change up the menu. And I'm like, it's just flipping food. It's good. It's good food. Like, what yeah. is the, you know, like, I didn't want to be the on-trend chef. I never was on-trend. So on when you recognized the passion, you had lost the passion. How long did it take for you to, to say that to Michelle? Um, a long like, time. Did you, it did? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, yeah. any decision that I was going to make was going to affect her livelihood her. and her family. How long so, did you wait? Years. Two <sighs> years, probably. Two years? Mm -hmm. And then how did you tell her if you don't I mean, I me kept asking. telling. I, I kept saying, I can't do this anymore. Oh, you always say that, you know, we'll get you some help, blah, blah, you know. But it just took, it honestly, it took me seeing a therapist <laughs> that is was key um, to to say like you're doing everything out of fear of being a failure to somebody but not yourself you don't you deserve happiness you deserve to chase a dream you deserve that like and I couldn't I, it was just the hardest I can't even still talk about it without getting pretty choked up because it was like, I'm going to lose my sister over this. And it was a huge thing in our family. And, but the whole time I'm like, you know, PS on top of that, I had had major physical issues, major. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the physicalness of the job, like I couldn't do that for another 10 years. I could flip and barely walk. You know, they, they, I had a, a gallbladder taken out, the, a hysterectomy, and then the back surgery. And the back surgery was like a major, major thoracic surgery. Not many people are able to do what I did after the surgery, mm -hmm. even, you know. So I was like, I, I just don't, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but I want to give myself time to figure it out. And yeah. one of the things that I always said is there's just too much food waste. Like, I would spend my entire Sunday after a catering event, I go to St. Gertrude's Church, which was my church. I'd ask all the girls at the donut table after mass, 
like, hey, do you guys need some dinner? Like, I got a boatload of leftovers from last night's catering because only really the drop-in center at the time, it's now the shelter house, there mm -hmm. wasn't anywhere for me to go with it. I didn't know what to do with it. There was no organized plan of how to let somebody enjoy this food. So I was giving it away to friends. I'm like, just bring your Tupperware and take whatever you want. Think about the lady down the street or somebody that had a baby. Like, I just don't want to see this food. So it was out of this seed of a little bit of disgust that all total this food disgust. is total disgust of the food that's going to waste. I, and, I, so I'm, I'm so and curious. Yeah. So on top of that, Sarah, our restaurant sat up above the Kroger's in Madeira. Yes. So I could see food being thrown away oh my every single moment of my life. And, and our walk-in was outside. So P.S., I had to go in and out the back door and see this, like, you know, not just come in and go to work. I, the walk-in for our restaurant was outside. So I was up and down those steps 100 times a day, if not more. So when, when did you realize that, like, the universe was giving you these uh, blatant nudges um, it was a couple of things, but one of the, the things I can very easily say is I was a daily mass goer back then. I was praying my ass yeah. off for an answer. And I found it almost comical that most of the time, I, a lot of the times, especially at eight o'clock mass, there's not a big homily. You know, there, it's very short. Right. And right. it's a 30 minute thing. And a lot of times I would just kind of veg out and use it to kind of just quiet, quiet time. Um, but I kept hearing like feed my sheep, like it's, <sighs> like in a weird way. I knew that that was not the gospel. The gospel changes every day. Right, but right, why right. did I keep hearing feed my sheep? So and I had also started an outreach at the school, not an outreach, a little program. I don't know what it was called, but we called it soup. And we called it Make a Difference Day, share, and it was um, whatever it is when you put, not the word, but S.O.U.P. Yes. So it was share our unique what? What's the P? Like, so that was always the big joke. What's the P? Is it passion? <laughs> is it plate? Is it, you know, so we had lots of ideas. So that had been brewing for a long, long, long time. And I, I find it so uh, fascinating because um, so many guests that I've had, there's some sort of like discomfort or blatant nudge or disgust or something that creates or sparks something new. But it's like sometimes we hear it right away and sometimes it takes a Oh, this a took a while. long time. Totally took a long time. But, you know, I talked to other friends. The guy that opened La petite with me when it was four tables yes said uh, he's been sober now for well since then so at least 30 years i'm gonna say and he said susie i remember sitting at the front window at la petite version one with you when yeah. you said i wish we could hire a bus to go downtown pick up the homeless and feed them he goes I i'll never forget it he goes i can i can tell you what you had on and I said, well, I didn't have a wardrobe back then, so you probably saw the same thing <laughs> you saw every day. That's not too tough. But um, yeah. So just so that our listeners can can understand the magnitude and the growth trajectory of La Soup, can you can you give us some some numbers around that? Oh yeah. 
So I, I, I had to find a location, right? So my thought was, could I take the food that gets wasted mm-hmm. and create a meal? And I chose soup for lots of reasons, hence the name was soup. But mostly it gives you creative license. You can stretch ingredients by adding water. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a universal come to the table and enjoy a bowl of soup. Yes. So it it had it hit all the spots for me, but finding a location was difficult. So I did find one, um, and it was in Newtown, 900 square feet. I was okay. an avid cyclist, so I was riding my bike past there. Talk about serendipity. One yeah. of the girls that used to work for me at La Petite was pulling out of this little, like, middle-of-nowhere joint. And I said, what are you doing? She goes, oh, we were using this to cater out of. I hate the landlord, so we're moving out. And we're folding my company. And I'm like, well, what's going to happen to the kitchen? Which was nothing. It was an eight-foot stove or an eight-foot hood. But yeah. I thought, you know, I, I'm going to pursue this. So that's how it So happened. had you already told Michelle, yeah. I'm, I'm phasing I'm, out. Yep. I'm going to figure gonna, out my yep. 2.0. I'm going to try to get out of here come January 1. Okay. It's going to okay. be my last day. So um, it took a little bit while longer, but we got there. Um, and so I started this with, I had cyber stalked, emailed, I, I, this poor woman, her name is Lynn Marmer. She mm-hmm. was from Kroger. And somehow I knew if I could find a woman at Kroger that she would listen to me. Genius, you're so genius. And she did, it took a while because she was a traveling fool, but eventually we connected. She said, what is it that you want from me? And I said, I want you to allow me to talk to your people at Kroger's Madeira and give me all the, the fresh produce that they no longer need. Yeah. Instead of throwing it away, I would like to pick it up and try to create something with it. So they had systems in place with Free Store Food Bank and Feeding America. But um, again, that you're relying on, it was very loosey-goosey at that point. Okay. So um, she allowed me to pick up from that store. So I had one store, um, no scale, no, you know, I, it, and me and my two boys, and I think some of their friends from Moeller at that point were working for us. I grabbed Frank, the old bartender from La Petite, who would run the register, and Jen, who was my hairdresser. Yeah, like, I mean, it was, we called it the Island of Misfit Toys, for sure. We were the Island of Misfits. And what oh, year was that? 2014. Okay, and today, how many We employees? moved up to, um, it took off. I started it as a for-profit. Um, my model was um, the Tom's shoe model. If you buy one, you give one. Yes, yes. And so I was just doing that. And I had to find, who, who am I giving the suit to? And, you know, like, I'm just doing, like, looking on the computer. Oh, this place takes food. I'll take, I'll give them some. Now, mind you, I had no money. I wasn't making it. <laughs> Every month I was investing more of, from my sale of my partnership. You know, she had to buy me out, so... I was using that to fund this thing. And some smart people entered my life and said, you need to be a nonprofit. I think we could raise you the money, um, but you need nonprofit status. So that was a big, big deal. And then at the same time, um, I also gave all my food away. 
because a teacher from Euler School on the West Side mm-hmm. had posted about, um, this was in November, we opened in April. So okay. this teacher posted that um, she had a child that she knew was in the building, it was Monday, yeah. and she was in the building because she saw her get off the bus, but she wasn't in the classroom. So she went down, found her at the bottom of the steps, too weak from hunger, to go up the steps to the classroom. Oh my God. So she made a Facebook post about it and said, this child ate Thursday afternoon lunch at school. Friday was a snow day. They normally would receive power packs from the free store food bank, but since Friday was a snow day, she didn't get one. So she hadn't eaten anything since Thursday since lunch. Thursday. And she said the kids in flip-flop shorts and a t-shirt. It was a winter snow day. Mm-hmm. And um, she's so hungry, and she's going to take the standardized test. So the teacher, the student, the teacher, the school, oh and the district and the state are all going to be judged when we failed her basic needs. Right. So I heated up literally every bit of soup that I had, put a table in my car, looked like the homeless person, but instead of asking for food, I put a sign like on a brown paper bag that said free food, set it up at the park across from Euler, and that's how we got involved in Cincinnati Public Schools. Um, nobody stopped me. I still can't believe that. I showed up for like three days. Oh, God. Nobody said, lady, what are you You're doing? like a little angel. Oh, I just didn't, I didn't know. You know what? You don't With know what you energy. don't know. With you a lot of energy. Yeah, listeners. I do have yeah, that. But yeah, you don't yeah, know what you does. don't know. I didn't know I was. Yeah. Right, right. I didn't know. Okay, wait. So today, you have to say. So today I, we're up yeah. in Walnut Hills. Yes. I now went from hiring um, my kids and my friends, although both my boys work from us. Um, we have 29 employees. Amazing. We rescue about 25,000 pounds a week and send out about the same amount of servings. The difference with us is when the food comes in the back door, you have no idea like what the quality is gonna look like. Mm-hmm. And part of us is removing, like we give a lot of fresh food to pantries that exist. But the main thing is that we are the eyes before it's given. So they're volunteers. So we, our rule is if we're not going to eat it, we don't give it. So, but we can cook with it. So we have option two. We can cook with that food. So there's a black dot on the tomato. Who cares? We'll cut it off. Right. We can use it. So um, we have two ways to prevent the waste stream there. And then we found lots of other little ways like pig farmers. So pig farmers come and pick up all the pig food. Uh, We have composters that we pay. And then we found the wolf sanctuary. That's in Lawrenceburg. Yes. Yes. I know this wolf sanctuary. Oh my God. That was a live, uh, that was awesome for us because we can give them all the meat that's freezer burnt as long as it hasn't been marinated or seasoned. So anything raw, Love that. so a lot of the pantries, if they don't have space when people show up with food, mm-hmm. they call mm-hmm. us to rescue the rescue is what we call it. <laughs> like, okay, now we're going to pantries to pick up food. This makes no sense, but um, you know, we're, we're there transforming food every day and growing in leaps and bounds. So um, the system works. It's taken us almost seven years now to really Mm -hmm. refine some of the systems. Um, I have so many uh, incredibly smart people that 
have been brought into this building because of the mission and the passion. We were just talking this afternoon about why do we not have the same problem that everybody has with employees? Mm. Like, you know, because of because of your mission and right. and your passion. And I think from a leadership perspective, it goes back to listening to that inner voice and you knew the season at La Petite with Pierre was over For because me, you didn't it was have that over. passion. I right? didn't want to do it anymore. And and I think from a leadership perspective, it's really being clear with yourself that when that passion is gone, it's time to move on to something else. You, you're not going to succeed. I was doomed to fail at some point. I wanted, no. and I didn't also, like, I didn't, how could I bring my sister along on a journey that I had no idea where it was going? Yeah. You know, we were fighting like cats and dogs about everything at that point in time, mostly because she was doing everything she could to bring in business. And I'd like stomp off going, fuck. Oh, sorry. I'm not supposed no, to do fine. that. But um, <laughs> like, oh, fine. great. We have a party of 300 and a party of 200. Great. And you're like, I don't want to do this. Exactly. When I should have been jumping up and down and going high five and going, right. great job. Look at all the business we have. Instead, I was like, oh, I can't do it. Like, I, I, I mean, it was just, it was misery. It was really, really difficult. And I feel like I was born again down there, you know, in Newtown. So listeners, Susie is in a part, she's a part of this new business that I've created with Aisha Armstrong called Zero Point Zero Living. And the whole purpose is to uh, provide women with, support and education and opportunity to live a uh, alcohol-free lifestyle. It's not for people that need a 12-step program. It's for our gray area drinkers. A lot of women, especially during COVID, started to drink a shit ton. (laughs) Susie's laughing because she'll tell you in a minute. Um, But that's how we became friends. And one of the things that we were talking about in one of our sessions a week or two ago was boundaries. Susie, remember this? Oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, that's been on my mind a lot. And I think you had to set those boundaries with Michelle. And it's so hard to do. But if you don't do it, you ha- you had an earlier quote around, like, I forget exactly what it is, but it was so good. But it was about, like, your happiness. I, I, de- I deserve to, like, per- I didn't, my happiness shouldn't depend on everybody else. Like, I, I couldn't. I didn't know what I wanted. I, I yeah. just was a lost, lost sheep, is what I would say. So feed my sheep. I needed to feed myself so I could feed others. Yes. So, and the zero, zero living thing for me, like everybody else was baking bread. I told you this. In COVID, everybody I knew was baking bread. <laughs> and I was best friends with Molly Wellman, making her flipping cocktails. Because I had never made a cocktail. I had never really even enjoyed alcohol in any form other than wine. I never drank beer. I mean, I drank beer in college, but I gave that up long ago. And I was a wino. And now all of a sudden, I'm like, I've got a million dollar flipping liquor cabinet now because Molly had me run into the liquor store to buy a (laughs) bottle of some expensive gin to learn how to make a cocktail. So so she was literally making cocktails every night. Every night. Oh, yeah. Every night. And enjoying them even more. Of course. But <laughs> then what happens? good enough, two's better. But, right. And then, so for you, what have you gotten out of 
Seriously. cutting that out for the last how many days is it, um how many? since March yeah since March I had a, a couple really oh, you said you were going to do for nine months like I said I wanted to do, I said I could do nine months I did it three times before well I've had two kids but I carried one for about five months I miscarried so I've done this before so I, sh I should be able to do it without like you better do it for somebody else your baby why yeah. can't we do it for yourself for you so and, and, it's and I feel interesting. like you're so countercultural. Like you're like, if oh, you're going to tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, and I do get questioned all the time, pretty much every day. Like if I go out, like, are you really not going to drink? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry if it makes you uncomfortable. I'm not trying to do that. Like, right. I still want to go out, but still, there are still want to have fun. I still want to have fun. Although I have to say, I took. I was down at Longfellow Saturday night, yeah, and that's a total bar scene. Totally. And it was uh, my cousin Kathy Kiefer's birthday, oh. so a bunch of people together came down. She works for us forty hours a week, not paid. She's a volunteer, and she is a lifelink for La Soup. She literally built that place. She's an engineer. Moved here when she retired to help me. Seriously, on on, like I was more shocked than anybody. Like I'm like you're you're moving to Cincinnati, oh great! Like all I kept thinking of, how do I tell my husband we have a new roommate? Like <laughs> I, like, I really, I had no idea what that meant. And she so said, you yeah. went, so you guys went and celebrated. We celebrated, yeah. And um, at about I don't know nine thirty, one of the gals at the table said, "Hey, I bought tickets to go to Schwartz." what is that place called i don't know oh, it's no. a jazz club no okay. it's a jazz club who wants in and i looked at one of the girls and i'm like it's 9 30 like we're getting real close to sleepy time for me so <laughs> i even pre-alcohol giving up i was never a late nighter in my last 25 years so i, I was grateful she was going to drive me home i find out these guys went on to party until i believe it was 3 a.m oh my god and, and but not with i mean i said like aren't you so hungover today and they were like oh we quit drinking i'm like no oh, you're like damn it i would have maybe gone I, I know i don't have the fomo Shit. i asked kathy how she did it and she said i have fomo i you know they ended up going to below zero to the burlesque show <laughs> and then going back to her place and making I hope they saw a late night dinner and I'm like, oh, shoot, that would have been a perfect, like that mm. I probably would have stuck around to. Yeah. You know? So, so back to our full loop of you. And um, this is why I, I love you so much. Listeners, Susie has taught me so much around, you have, I haven't told you this, but like being okay with who I am and not hiding, not shrinking me, not pulling back. This is who I am. You can accept me for who I am and love me. Or if you don't, okay. Who okay. cares? Who cares? I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. I, I, you know, but I don't do it intentionally, Sarah. I, I know. Just, it's just, you it's know, like breathing it's, for you. Seriously. It's, well, it's like, I, I can't understand living up to other people's, and maybe that's what it was I, at La Petite. I started to feel like I was doing everything for everybody else, but not for me. Where yeah. in the beginning, it was all about me. I was yeah. trying to figure out how in the hell am I going to cook 28 veal tonight? Like, it was a challenge that I yeah. enjoyed. And I really enjoyed being a caterer to some of the events we did 
to be part of people's most personal, lovely celebrations of birthdays and weddings. And I, I loved it. And that's what fueled me. But then mm -hmm. once I recognized I'm really not happy doing this, and it wasn't a big enough company to say, like, you go ahead and hire a chef. Like, right. we weren't bringing in that kind of money. I was the owner and I was expected to work as the working owner. Right. So, uh, you know, I was happy that I was able to write part two of my life and in, in really in really exceptional ways and that the city was ready for it. That, you know, that, like I said, the people that just keep showing up at my doorstep, I'm like, Kathy, for one, like, what the hell? Like, seriously? Can I, can I just tell you, I want to cheers you to um, writing part two. I think that's, yeah, I think that gives so many people hope. I, I, you know, I say my part three is to um, move back, move back, move to France for six months of the year. My family mm. is still over there. So even though dad's sister and brother have died, their yes. kids are still there. And I spent many summers there. Mm. Um, and, and that is my happy place. Other people go to Walloon Lake. I go to Alsace. What do you do in Alsace? Not much of anything. You could, <laughs> you could, but you're in the beautiful mountains and you hike and you walk and you forage for mushrooms and I love it. So when I get to the point that I can do that, that is what I want to do is right. Because I also think that my father's story and how I call yeah. it the genetic disorder. Yeah. Like I had dad's gene. I had my grandfather on my mother's side and now interesting it's passed to my son mm. at the same age that it hit me at 23 like as soon as i stepped out of the kitchen and, mm -hmm. and started working as executive director and hired a chef is when he became interested like i didn't want to learn from mom i wanted to learn from yes. somebody else and being given that opportunity and watching him really doing exceptional work and learning from other people not from me and then the other son runs the dock like a drill sergeant back there. And, you know, there's 50, 50 deliveries that come in and out of there a day. And him and the teeniest peanut girl, Katie, the two of them back there. And they're just like a machine yeah. of workers back there. And you know what, awesome. though? Your dad would be so proud of that. Like that, that's really amazing. I so think we're, so. We're going to have to close with this. Um, you have to invite me to go foraging for mushrooms, okay? I will. I like really want to go. I, I really want to go. Okay. Well, we're going to go right in your hood. Okay. F great. I'm looking at it right now. Well, it's, well, you're, yeah. Oh, old, old hood? Alt. Yeah. We'll go to Alt Park. Okay. I'm not looking at that, but yes. Yeah. The hike, the hiking there. And I've found many, many great mushrooms there. Thank you, my friend, for being on today. Thanks, girl. It was fun. It was great. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian, Donica, and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 